family. It's good to see all of you here today, and I've thought so much about what a great church family. We're going to look at that here a little bit, too. I want to tell you that uh, this is going to be a way different sermon than you usually hear from me. Usually I'm really well-organized and meticulous in my planning and, you know, go from point to point and all that, and it's not going to be that today. It's going to be really loose. It's going to be really random, but... You know, when Nettie passed away yesterday morning at about 12.30 a.m., I realized at that point, I realized actually earlier on Friday when it looked like her time was short and she wouldn't even make, I had a message planned. I had another message planned, and that'll hold. I've got it in the back burner, and we'll preach that in a couple weeks. But uh, I realized that there's no way that I could just go on with business as usual. You know, we have people pass in this church, and and we mark the occasion with prayer and with uh, condolences for family. Of course, we hold funerals here. But this is Nettie Hudson. And Nettie really fits into a completely different category from anybody else. You know, Nettie was part of the group that started this church 48 years ago this November. 48 years ago this November, the first meeting of TCF was held. And Nettie and her late husband, Willard, many of you knew Willard, uh, we're part of that group that started this church 48 years ago. And Nettie has been involved with this church throughout that entire time. Now, the last seven years since she's been in Broken Arrow Nursing Home, she has been unable to join us on Sunday morning. Now, she's part of the house church. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, too, that, that I've been a part of since uh, um, September of 1988. And uh, she, we still considered her part of our house church. In fact, she was able to come... I don't know, maybe three or four times while she was in Broken Arrow Nursing Home, and we had a couple other occasions where the whole group would go out to meet her. We went out there for some of her birthdays. We went out there for things like that. So we consider, we consider her part of this church. She's been part of this church, even though we haven't seen her here on Sunday morning. And uh, because of that, Nettie is the last original TCFer. Think of that, 48 years now since this church has been in existence. Now, there may be some from that original group that started the church that are still among the living, but they're not involved with us. We don't know where they are, and we're not really connected with them. But we're, we were connected with Nettie. And not just me. So many of us were connected with Nettie. So I began to think, you know, I cannot just preach as if nothing has happened. We have to mark this occasion somehow. It's a significant event in the life of the church. It's a, um, it's a significant event uh, in the lives of many of us, even as individuals. So I've never been in the pulpit as unprepared as I am today. You know, we'll have a funeral Wednesday. This is not going to be the funeral message, but if you haven't been to a funeral message or a funeral recently, this is going to be sort of like a funeral message. Uh, the funeral message will be different, but I'll also tell you if you come Wednesday, and I hope, I hope many of you do. I hope many of you do, Wednesday, 10 a.m., try to be there. But uh, I, I apologize now if you hear some of the same things today that you're going to hear Wednesday because some of those things just fit, you know. So um, we'll have a funeral. Many of us can attend. Uh, but Nettie touched so many lives in such a profound way. Uh, today it's our turn as a church. You know, Wednesday will be for everybody. The church will be part of it because it will be here. There will be a lot of people from outside the church. Nettie touched a lot of lives. Nettie knew everybody, you know. Nettie knew everybody. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that here in a minute. But today it's our turn as a church to remember Nettie, 
It's our turn to grieve her loss, and it is a loss. And it's our turn, most of all, and this will happen Wednesday too, most of all, to honor the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus, who saved her soul and turned her into the godly, saintly woman that she was. Nettie was a matriarch of TCF. She's a matriarch of this church. Again, the founding of TCF 48 years ago. Now, it's interesting because I called her that once. I told her, you know, you're the matriarch of TCF. And she laughed and she said, oh, you booger. (laughs) Whenever I would tease Nettie about anything, that's what she would say, oh, you booger. And then when when she called me a booger and I teased her about anything, um, then the next thing she would do is laugh. And the next thing I would say, oh, you're such a potty mouth, Nettie. (laughs) So we had that kind of relationship. It was a wonderful relationship. She had a great sense of humor. She could laugh about a lot of different things. Um, she wasn't that old classic little church lady with a bun, you know. She was, she was a real person, and she was uh, so genuine. I want to read, as we start here this morning, from this passage, which is a passage you're going to hear in funerals a lot. I don't know if it will be used on Wednesday, but it's a passage, and it really speaks so much to what we want to look at this morning. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And then verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In a very real sense, a very, more real than this podium, more real than this stage that I'm stomping on, in a very real sense, Nettie went home yesterday morning at little after 12.30 a.m. at Hillcrest ICU, room number five. Nettie went home in a very real way. You know, we talk about death with euphemisms sometimes, you know. Um, But some of those euphemisms are actually good, and they're actually biblical. We talk about going home. That's a bit, there, there it is, folks. It's in the Word of God. For the believer in Christ, we're going home. And Nettie was going home. And Nettie's home now. It's the home that she was created to live in. It's not that mansion that God is building for her after she gets her resurrection body, but she's at home with the Lord. It's how God created us to be, to be at home with Him. There's all kinds of words and phrases, and I can't help but help but see Nettie in some of the things in this passage. One of the things in verse 2, you know, it says she groaned. It says we groaned. Nettie groaned. Nettie, boy, that lady lived with a lot of pain. 
most of her life. Nettie lived with so much pain. You know, she had polio when she was eight, so she walked with a limp all of her life. She had fibromyalgia. In fact, this last week of her life, you know, she went into the hospital with uh, uh, the test indicated that the blood supply to her colon had been cut off. And so she had very severe abdominal pain. So they began to treat it with antibiotics. And uh, the, the only real solution for that is to go in uh, and do kind of a, a quick exploratory surgery to see if that's actually happening. And if so, you have to remove the colon. Well, Nettie 90, was 94, and she was pretty physically frail. She wouldn't survive that surgery. The doctor, the surgeon told her that she wouldn't survive it. So really the only option they had was to treat it with antibiotics and hope that maybe the tests were at least a little bit wrong and the blood supply had not been completely cut off to her colon and that she could, you know, get through this. So they, they treated that all week long. From Sunday, a week ago today when she went in the hospital, they treated it all week long, and she was in a lot of pain. She was groaning, it says in verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. She was groaning. She was longing to put on her heavenly dwelling. She knew what was coming, okay? And so, I, we, you know, we hurt for her. You go in there, and, and I would, uh, you know, she really was, she slept a lot. She wasn't really up for quote-unquote visiting. You know Nettie, those of you who went to visit, boy, she was a talker, and she could talk about anything and everything, and it was just delightful. She was just delightful to be with. But this week, that was not the case. You know, it was just really hard for her. So uh, I know several that went in. Uh, one day I was up there, and Nancy Harkins was there, and we prayed for her, and I was getting ready to leave, and I thought, okay, well, Nettie's really not up for visiting. And I thought, you know, maybe Nancy needs to stay. So I said, Nancy, you know, I don't mean to chase you out of here, but if you want to just sit with Nettie, you know, maybe that would be a good thing to do, and then if she needs something, you're here. And, and so she did, you know, and I know several others did that as well throughout the course of the week, and several others just went up to visit and, and, and greet her and pray for her. So, you know, when it came down to the end, um, on Friday, just let me tell you this story. Some of you have told this, but this is why I say I'm going to be really rambling this morning. So excuse me, this is what you get, okay? Friday, I go up to visit her, and I get to the hospital, and she's not in ICU-9, which is where she was all week. And I thought, okay, what's going on? I asked the nurse's station, and they said uh, they moved her upstairs to another room. And I thought, wow, that's got to be good news, right? Why would they move her out of ICU if she you know, wasn't doing better, at least a little bit better? Well, that wasn't the case. I got up to the room, and she was doing worse. And uh, the nurse told me that um, her white blood count was up, which means the infection was not being adequately addressed with the antibiotics that they had. And so she wasn't doing well at all. She was in a lot of pain. She was kind of moaning. She was aware. She was aware. She, was, she knew who was coming in. She would greet you. Um, so anyway, they moved her back down to ICU, and then she passed away at 12.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. But uh, throughout that process, you know, I thought of this passage of Scripture. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Why would we long to put on our heavenly dwelling? Well, when we groan, you know, we're hurting, right? And it doesn't always have to be physical. Sometimes we groan emotionally, don't we? Sometimes life is just hard. Circumstances are difficult. We groan. 
And, uh, you know, Nettie had a, a long list of suffering. But verse 8 says it best, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And that's the reality, you know. We cling so tightly to our mortal bodies. Now, is it true of us that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord? Of course, Paul also says, you know, I know if I stay, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. But if I go, I'm absent from the body, but I'm present with the Lord. And what does he say about that? It's better by far. Better by far. Can you imagine? It's not just a little bit better. And I'm, this is, here's one thing you're going to hear Wednesday, because I've already begun to think about what I preach in the Wednesday message. But here's what you're going to hear Wednesday. To just think what we think of better by far, you know, it's not like, gee, I'd rather be in Colorado than on the western plains of Oklahoma. It's not like, gee, I'd rather be on the beach than uh, in northern, where, uh, northern uh, North Dakota in the wintertime. It's way better on the beach. You know, it's warmer, it's better, right? Oh, that's better, right? It, it just pales in comparison. What Nettie's experiencing at this moment in the presence of her Lord and Savior pales in comparison to what she was experiencing. And, and goodness, I mean, she suffered those last days, those last hours. It's so much better, better by far. We hang on to that, folks. We hang on to that. We do suffer. And our suffering has a purpose here in this life. You know, I, I thought about that too. Al Baker and Karen Chupak were with me when Nettie passed. And uh, I, I said to Al at one point, you know, the thing that I have the hardest time understanding, why would an old saint like Nettie need to suffer in the last hours of her life? I don't, I don't really have a good answer for that, folks. I don't really have a good answer for that, except for one thing that occurred to me, and I didn't think of this, Al, I didn't think of this when we were there. But one thing that occurred to me was that it discipled me. You know, everything that happens to us is not about me. It's not always about you. Sometimes we learn from what we see other people experience, you know? And so think about that. Maybe it was part of the discipling of Bill Sullivan and maybe Al Baker and maybe Karen Chupak and maybe all those others who came in those last hours of Nettie's life. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. I mean, I don't know, okay? We cling tightly to this mortal coil. Yet, it's better by far. It's better by far, you know? So I, I think about that a lot. Yes, life is precious, okay? This life that we have now is precious. We can experience this life. It's a, there, there are good things. God in his mercy and in his grace, there are good things we enjoy in this life just because he loves us, just because he's gracious, just because he's merciful. But it's better by far. We read that in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. It is my eager expectation, eager, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. So here's Paul, and he wrote this letter from prison. So Paul had a little bit of understanding of what it meant to suffer. I don't know any prison that's a pleasant place, okay? So he had an understanding, and we can go on of litany of all of Paul's other stuff, okay? All the other things that Paul suffered. So here's Paul saying, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's far better. Nettie knew. Nettie knew that that was far better. Not just a little bit. Not just the Rocky Mountains better than Oklahoma. It was far, far better. And so she hung on to that. You know, we'll have this funeral on Wednesday, and I've, I've shared this with several individually, but it's kind of weird, so please take this for what it's worth. I like doing funerals better than weddings. I do. Now, that's not because funerals are easy. It's emotionally challenging and difficult, uh, especially when you're doing a funeral for somebody you know or a family you know, and you, you know, we weep with those who weep, don't we? especially when that's the case. But I love doing funerals because everybody is confronted with the reality of our mortality and of what happens when we die. We can escape that in our culture. We can escape that. We can do whatever we do. We can entertain ourselves. We can but the reality is when you're sitting in a funeral, now when you're sitting in a wedding, which is a wonderful thing, okay, and a good Christian wedding celebrates Christ and his church. I mean, the analogies, the deep spiritual meaning of marriage is a wonderful thing. But when you're sitting at a funeral, you cannot escape what you're there to talk about. You can't dance around it. In a wedding, you can just say, hey, a lot of weddings now are just celebrate us. We're happy. We want you to celebrate with us, which is fine to a point, okay? But a wedding that's really biblically based and solidly Christian really gets at some other deep spiritual meanings, okay? But funerals, inescapable, totally inescapable. You must face the reality. So I I prefer to do funerals. I love to do weddings. I've done, I've done a handful. I haven't done nearly as many as Jim Grinnell, who I call the wedding meister. But, uh, and Jim does the best weddings. I mean, Jim is so good at that. But I, I, I appreciate the privilege of walking with families. And I, I said that to Charlene just a few weeks ago when she was just profusely thanking me for my role in her dad's uh, funeral. And I said, and this is really true, it is my deepest privilege to walk with you through everything that you experience. That's what we do. Now, we do that with each other. That's not just me. That's the church family. That's all the body. But it is my deepest, most profound privilege to walk with you through all the things that you experience. I love to be there for the birth of your babies. I love to be there for the death of your loved ones. And I love to be there for everything in between as much as I can. It blesses me. It encourages me. It's why God put me on this earth. And to a great degree, that's true of all of us. It's why God put us on earth. 
So, again, that's kind of weird, but, you know, again, several random thoughts. Um, what a great church we have. What a great church we have. You know, when uh, I got to the hospital on Friday, and I learned that, and one of the nurses, uh, l- let me say to Lynn Clutter, nurses are great, Lynn. <laughs> you know, Lynn teaches nursing at TU. Nurses are great. These nurses, especially on the last day, uh, the experience I had with them was just wonderful. They, nurses will tell you way more than doctors will. Doctors will always hedge their bets. Well, you know, you could try this, we could try this, we could try this. Can't tell you really what would happen, but, you know, this is your best. Nurses will say, you know, this is what I'm seeing, and this is what you need to think about and prepare for. So I get there, and I talk to one of the nurses there on, the, on one of the floor. Matthew. Nurses are great, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew's a nurse. Um, and the nurse says, you know, where, where is Nettie's family? And I said, Ashley, Nettie's grandson, is the only really family that's uh, deeply involved with her life now. And, and he is her, uh, had power of attorney and all that kind of thing. And Ashley is, was in Florida on business. And he can't, just can't get here in time. Ashley's not even going to be here until tomorrow. And, um, and so she said, well, you might want to tell him to come sooner if he can. And so at that point, Nettie says, Ashley's here. And I said, really? And she, she shook her head. And that was one of the things that we could understand. She said, tried to say a lot of things. It was very frustrating to all of us who were there, but also to Nettie, I'm sure, that she tried to say things and just was too weak to really get it out and be able to say it clearly. So, so I, I looked at the nurse kind of with a quizzical look, and I said, well, let me text Ashley. So I did. I texted Ashley. I texted back. I said, I said in the text, uh, Nettie says you're here. Um, are you in Tulsa? And Ashley texts back immediately. said, no, I'm not going to be there until Monday. And so I told the nurse that, and the nurse said, you might tell him to get here as soon as he can. And so I texted Ashley back and said, here's what's going on, Ashley. It's not looking good. Her time is short. Um, you might want to get back. And he says, and, uh, let me just say this about Ashley. Those of you who knew Ashley when he was a little guy, grew up to a teenager, there was a time when I would have seen Ashley as kind of a slacker, just to be honest, okay? He, he didn't step up to the plate when he was a teenager and even a very, very young, young adult. But I got to say now that I don't think that at all about Ashley. Ashley cares deeply about his grandmother. And you need to know this, too. This is important. Ashley lives in Nashville. He had, a, he had work that, that took him to Nashville. They used to live in Tulsa. Nettie lived with Ashley and his wife, Mindy, for some time. And then Nettie moved into an assisted living place and then to the nursing home later. Ashley and Mindy would have taken Nettie in in a second. Nettie told me that several times. They, they, they want me to come to Nashville. Nettie didn't want to leave Tulsa. This is her home. She'd lived here for all of her life. It would have just been very hard for her. So I just want to say that about Ashley. I want to commend him that he is a faithful grandson, and he did a marvelous job of looking after his grandmother's affairs in the last years of her life. So, but that aside, so, so here we are. I, I learned that the time is short. Ashley can't be here. And my first thought, I don't want Nettie to die alone. I can't, I can't, I can't bear that thought of Nettie dying alone. So I called Debbie. 
and I said that to Debbie. I said, I don't want, I don't want Nettie to die alone. Can we, can we make some calls? Can we rally the troops and see, can we get people to come sit with Nettie, you know? And I, I was going to stay as much as I could, but, you know, I, I didn't know how long it would be. At that point, we didn't know. It could have been a couple, three, four days instead of several hours at that point. And so Nettie said, or Debbie said, I'll get on it. And within two hours, this is, this is all this is to connect to my phrase, what a great church we have. Within two hours, Debbie had called around, and we had every hour covered between 3 p.m. and 8 a.m. yesterday morning. We had people like Al Baker who came in at midnight. We had people like Margot who didn't come in at 3 a.m. but was willing and ready to do so. We had Linda Steed who hates to get up early, but she was going to come at 6 a.m. and be there with Nettie. What a great church. What a great church. We're not a big bunch, folks, but we have a great church, and we do family well. We do relationships well, and I'm so so grateful that it, it blesses me to see that. It blesses me. It encourages me. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think of Nettie. You know, Nettie was a trendsetter in this. Nettie would have been the first one on that list if she was able and the tables were turned. Right, Deb? Nettie would have been the first. She, you know, if she was able to get there, she would have been the first one in that hospital. And she said, I'll stay as long as I have to. I'll stay as long as I have to. She took the fellowship of the saints seriously. She was all about compassion. She was all about serving. She served the church. She served so many of us. And I'm sure that most of us here who knew Nettie have a story about how Nettie was there. Nettie was there. And that's just such a real thing. So Nettie was a model for us. She was instrumental with the group that founded this church. And so she was a model for us. She was a model in her ongoing emphasis on prayer. You know, that's something we try to make the hallmark of this church. We are guided by prayer. We care about prayer. We need prayer. And like Jim Grinnell, you know, we can't do, he's talked about last week, we need the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and in our lives and moving ahead of us to do what he needs to do. And without him, we can do nothing. And Nettie knew that, and she practiced that, and she lived that. And, you know, we use these Christian, Christianese phrases, you know, and sometimes people outside the Christian faith say, what, what's it? Nettie was a prayer warrior. And that's, that's a Christianese phrase. A lot of people, well, What does that mean? It meant she went to war in prayer and she hung on. What do you do when you go to war? You fight. You fight. And Nettie was a fighter. Nettie prayed. And she prayed faithfully for, for all of us. For all of us. And when Nettie said she's going to pray for you, she prayed for you. And so what a great model that is for us. You know, most of her prayer was about intercession. Through the years, she prayed for our missionaries. You know, there was a time when Nettie was our primary missions prayer person. She was it. And not only that, this was in the days before email, and Nettie would write letters. Anybody remember how to do that? Nettie would write letters, actual physical letters, to our missionaries and mail them and it was incredible encouragement. And so if you talk to any of our missionaries, you know, Warren and Shirley, you were the recipients of that, weren't you? Through the years, Nettie would pray for you and write to you. Dory and Karen, when you guys were on the field, Nettie would write to you and she would pray for you. And every one of our missionaries will tell you the same thing. The ones who've been on the field forever. I got an email from, I, I informed our missionaries via email yesterday. They needed to know. 
because most of our missionaries really knew Nettie very, very well. And uh, so I informed them, and I got an email back from Deanna, and one of the things, Deanna Harrison, and she said that uh, she was so grateful that she got to see Nettie twice on their last trip here to Tulsa. They came over to our house for dinner, with, uh, and, I, and I brought Nettie over, and then one time we went out to the nursing home to see Nettie, and they were just grateful now especially for that. So anyway, church is family, and we do family well. Now, have you ever thought about this when you go to somebody's house that you're not family with, maybe your friends, and they break out a photo album and videos, you go, okay, right? Uh, you know, okay. I mean, everybody, nobody wants to see everybody else's, you know, vacation pictures and all that kind of stuff. You might, maybe it might be nice for a few minutes, but not for a long time. But when you're with family, they love it. Oh, let's look at those pictures. How cool is that? So we're going to take just a few minutes and do that. We're going to take just a few minutes and do that. This is Piccolo House Church, and I'll tell you the story behind that here in a second. Um, there's Nettie right there, right there, okay? And there's Willard, okay? You see Willard kind of bending over because he's tall and had to let Larry Gregory be seen in the background there, okay? Uh, that's, that's Lisa, in uh, right there, well, okay, yeah, and that's Laura. So this had to be this had to be 1990, okay. This is 1990. Some of these folks are still at TCF. Some of them aren't. Uh, you see, you see uh, Carl and Doris. You see um, uh, Candy, and I don't see Mark. Maybe Mark. Maybe you were taking the picture. I don't know. That's Candy. Uh, that's that's her normal pose for pictures. <laughs> Anyway, that's Piccolo House Church. Let me talk to you about Piccolo House Church. Um, let me show you another picture of Piccolo House Church. This is uh, several years later. Actually, look at, look at that guy right there. You know who that is? Let's see if anybody can tell who that guy is right there, right next to me. Anybody recognize him? He's sitting here this morning right there next to me. I wish the picture was a little closer and a little bit better. That's Jason Feathers. <laughs> yeah. And by this time, we had uh, Bob and Shirley had joined us. Tom and Hazel had joined us. The Sudermans were part of it. Any of you remember Keith and Julie Martin were part of our house church back then? Uh, Luann Goodberry. Remember Luann Goodberry also present with the Lord now? Uh, so anyway, we had Piccolo House Church, the name. It's kind of weird because back in the day... When Piccolo House Church started, this was uh, September 1988 was the first meeting of Piccolo House Church. And Willard and Nettie and uh, another couple named Bob and Joni Williams were the house church leaders of that first group. And Barb and I knew Willard and Nettie and said, yeah, that's a house church we want to go to. We've been out of house church for a few years. And so we went to that and we we're still, that's Piccolo House Church is still going uh, all these many years later. But the first meeting of Piccolo House Church, Willard said, okay, we need to come up with a name. Well, back then, most of the house churches were named after where you were located. It was the Fifth Street or the neighborhood name of the, that, that's how house churches were named. But Willard also told a story when he was setting the tone for what Piccolo House Church would be, what he was hoping that Piccolo House Church would be. And he told a story, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just going to tell the Reader's Digest version of the story. But the idea was that there was this orchestra leader who had a really good ear. 
And he could hear every instrument in an orchestra. And one day when they were practicing, he stopped. He, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. I don't hear the piccolo. And, and the, everybody looked around like, how can you tell? You know, we got an orchestra here. I don't hear the piccolo. How can you even hear the piccolo, this little lowly instrument? And he said, every instrument is important. Every instrument's important. That's what this house church is about. We're all important. God is going to use all of us to minister one to another. Every instrument is important. And so a few weeks later, he asked again, okay, what are we going to call this house church? And somebody, I don't remember who it was, it becomes apocryphal through the years, you know, who really said what. But somebody said, well, how about Piccolo House Church? And we, everybody just resonated. That's great. That, that, that's who we are. That's who we're going to be. And, you know, I got to tell you, Willard's tone and emphasis still is part of Piccolo House Church to this day. And it'll be what? It'll be 30 years next year. Still to this day. And, of course, Nettie as well. So... Okay, indulge me for a few more moments here. We would go out to visit Nettie. This is my daughter, Laura, and we would go out to visit Nettie uh, as a house church. And she came with us one time and uh, visited, and the house church enjoyed those times that we were with Nettie. I would walk around. When I would go visit Nettie and the weather was nice, I would push her in her wheelchair around the neighborhood, around the uh, nursing home. And it was like a broken arrow history lesson. We would walk by this house, and she would say, oh, Dr. So-and-so used to live here, and I knew his son, or I knew him, or whatever. And then we'd go to another house, and, oh, my cousin used to live there, and, oh, this, is, this was the uh, owner of the feed store, or whatever. You know, Nettie was born in 1922 in Broken Arrow, and it was Broken Arrow class in 1940. And so, you know, she knew everybody. She did. Well, we walked by this house one day, and Nettie said, Willard and I used to live there. I said, really? And she said, yeah, we used to live in the upstairs right when Willard came back from World War II. Willard fought in the South Pacific in World War II, and we used to live there. And it looks pretty good, actually, doesn't it? Um, and so I said, Nate, we've got to get a picture of this. So here we are. Now, this is one of my favorite pictures, and Lynn told me this morning that this was posted on Facebook. And uh, actually, some of you may have seen this before. Because this picture, you've heard of something that goes viral? This picture went viral because I can't remember what it was. It was four or five years ago. But somebody came out to Broken Arrow Nursing Home with this, with this kangaroo. And it had some sort of a physical malady, a handicap. And, you know, the, the folks at the nursing home love animals. Anytime, like uh, Jane, when you take, you take your dogs, don't you, out to nursing homes, and they love animals. They love kids, too. So some of you, if you want to go to a nursing home, bring your little kids. They love little kids. As long as they don't tackle the residents, you know, you're good. So uh, they took a picture while they were there, and Nettie thought it was just the local newspaper, and it might have been. But apparently this photo got on the AP Newswire. And when it gets on the Associated Press Newswire, it literally goes around the world. And so when I heard about this, I first saw this picture somewhere, maybe in the Tulsa world. But... When I saw the picture, I said, wow, this is, and I, and I saw the caption said AP. So I got on, I Googled it, and, and to this day, if you Google Nettie Hudson kangaroo, you'll find this picture on websites around the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I saw it, I mean, Los Angeles, New York, Australia, seriously. 
So it was, I, I teased Nettie when I got back. She, did, she had no idea. And so I teased her next time I saw her, and I said, Nettie, this is your 15 minutes of fame. Isn't that cool? But anyway, Ashley posted this picture as one of his favorite pictures of his grandmother, and he po- posted this on Facebook, and I thought this was worth sharing with you. This is what he wrote. Miss you already, Grandma. This was one of my favorite pictures of my dear, sweet Nettie. She is holding a disabled kangaroo, and I just love that look in her eyes. Throughout my life, I have been that kangaroo, always knowing no matter what, she would welcome and hold me and tell me everything would be all right. I was 2,000 miles away when she passed, but I got to have a beautiful moment that many who have lost a loved one could only wish for. The phone rang at 1.30 a.m., and I knew what the call meant. She was still with us, but with only hours to live. Her pastor, Bill, held the phone up to her ear and let me tell her that Mindy and I were safe, the kids were well, and that it was okay for her to go. I told her I loved her and could hear her labored breathing. I was that kangaroo one last time. I told her how much she meant to me and to please tell Mom and Grandpa hello. I love you, dear sweet Nettie. Goodbye. Bill put the phone back to his ear, and a few moments later, not even a minute, I heard the beeps, the beeps I've known to, uh, grown to know too well over the years, the beeps that meant she was no longer with us, not in her body anyway, the beeps that signified that at 44 years old, I am now the oldest person in my entire blood family. Mom, dad, all grandparents, aunts, uncles, great aunts and uncles, all of them gone. Thank God for Mindy and my seven kiddos. Perhaps the hardest thing so far was telling those beautiful babies that they had lost their second grandma in only a few weeks. Mindy's grand grandmother died and the kids were close to her man i'm going to miss her she made me feel so safe invincible almost if you've ever called me you know my voicemail for years has been just for her one of the only things i liked about flying and ashley travels a lot in his work was calling her before at her insistence so she could pray for me for the last several years the best moments of traveling was that that plane touching down me turning off airplane mode and waiting for that beep that glorious beep, more like a bloop bloop really, and seeing her name with that blue dot next to it on my voicemail. She always had something beautiful and affirming to say. I couldn't wait to hit play. I saved the best ones, and I imagine I'll play a few every single day for as long as I live. She was so much more than my grandma. She's been a grandma to so many of you. I hope those of you in Tulsa can make it to the service. I thought that was beautiful. And thank you, Lynn, for pointing that out to me so I could share that with the group. Who's that young guy on the right there? And that young lady? Uh, A few years after the house church started, um, Bob and Joni Williams, another couple that were part of the uh, part of the leadership team on that house church, they moved to Kansas City because Bob had a new job. And so Willard asked me to come alongside and to work, and I went through uh, MCS, the leadership training course at that point, and, and became one of the leaders of the house church along with Willard, and it wasn't very long thereafter, Tom went through MCS with me, and he also became a leader. So we had three at that point, and that was, that was us, I don't know, that was probably maybe two years before Willard passed away, and then that's uh, probably a couple years before that. I don't even know what that occasion was. Willard's wearing a tie, and I'm wearing jeans and a shirt, so I don't recall what that is. So, And uh, I'm going to show you just the, the video portion of a couple things without the audio, but through, the, through uh, a few um, 
times I had the opportunity to, to videotape Nettie. And one time was for our 40th anniversary. You remember this? Any of you remember when we did that? Which was eight years ago now. And I, I asked Nettie questions about the early history of TCF. And I recorded this interview and I cut it down to something that we could uh, all watch together as part of that video. And uh, uh, if anybody wants to see this, I can, I can send you a link to where you can get the digital copy of this. As well as the, uh, the next video, which was actually done for a women's retreat. And I want to read this. It was a time in my life I was not as close to the Lord as I wanted to be, and it was always something in the way. And Nettie was talking about how she had become re-energized in her prayer life. And then she said, and I knew that God had something for me, but it didn't really hit me until my mother's funeral. And I thought, isn't that so true? Sometimes, just like I talked about earlier, how I, I like doing funerals because people are emotionally and they're spiritually vulnerable and they can receive things that they wouldn't receive if you were just sitting across the table having coffee with them and that's what happened to Nettie and with her prayer life and so I just think it's a powerful thing over the last couple years when Barb's folks moved in with us we also had the joy of having Nettie in our home a little more often because Nettie loved to be with folks closer to her own age and uh, and my in-laws love Nettie they love being with Nettie and so we had Nettie for for meals fairly often and we had her for Thanksgiving and we had her for for Christmas and so Nettie you know we kind of incorporated Nettie into our family this is just last uh, I think this is just last there's Nettie in the back in her chair you see right here and uh, so it was just wonderful to have Nettie in, in that kind of relationship with her. Very special lady. A couple more things here. I told Joel I didn't have any idea how long this would be. I can usually tell you within five minutes how long a normal Bill Sullivan sermon will be. But I had no idea with this one, folks couple thoughts here the moment of death for a believer is a holy moment the moment of death for a believer is a holy moment Psalm 116 verse 15 says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints precious means it's of great value or a high price highly esteemed or, or cherished high cost highly esteemed dear beloved what do you do with something or someone who is precious to you? You treat it with tender, loving care, don't you? You treat it with great care. Nettie was precious to Jesus. Nettie was precious to Jesus. And, you know, Nettie would want me to point out the other side. We have to point to one very important thing. This verse is not universal. It does not claim to apply to every death or every person. That is very clear. Note what it says. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of his saints. Jesus made it clear that not everyone should look forward to death. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Whoever has my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. The time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God 
and those who hear will live. The psalm speaks only of the death of the saints. Saints refers not to angels. It doesn't refer to perfect people or those rare heroes of the church. Saints is the way those of us who believe in Christ are described in the Word of God. We're saints. Most of us here are saints, not because we're perfect, not because we're extra special, not because we're heroes. A saint is one who belongs to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones whose death is precious. But Nettie's death, the death of any of his saints, is a holy moment. It's a holy moment because of what Jesus paid for. It's what his sacrifice was meant to accomplish. Individuals, every one of us, like us, like Nettie, who trust in the precious blood of Jesus and only in that sacrifice to save them from eternal death, to bring them into eternal life. So when Nettie breathed her last, it was a holy moment. When any of us who are in Christ breathe our last breath on this earth, it is a holy moment, truly holy, set apart, sanctified by his blood, by the blood of Christ, the sacrifice that he made for us. Think of what happens in that moment. Think of what happens in that moment. You breathe air on earth, and you breathe that out, and then there's no more breath. And in that moment, in that moment, you are on one side, and then you're on the other side. And the Bible tells us, for those who are in Christ, you are present with the Lord. You know, uh, people say, well, Nettie's with Willard, and I believe that's true, and she's enjoying seeing Willard. But you know what? I wonder how much we'll care. You know what? We, we, we look forward to that. We look, and, and, and I believe, I do believe that we will see our loved ones in heaven. Okay? So don't hear me wrong. But I'm wondering how much we're going to care. The presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the maker of the universe, the brightness of his countenance, the scars on his hands and his feet. God, what you've done for me. Will we care? Will we even care? And I think eventually, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see our loved ones. They'll be rejoicing. That's all real. I'm not, don't, I'm not, don't hear me say that that's not happening. I think it's a powerful thing when we consider that we will be face-to-face with the one who paid the penalty for our sin so we can spend eternity with him. That's why death is a holy moment. It's a holy moment. It's holy because God made it holy, not because Nettie was a great person. She was. Not because she was a wonderful model for us. She was. But it was a holy moment because her Redeemer drew her from this earthly existence into his presence at that moment. Death is the last enemy. It's still an enemy, okay? It's a defeated enemy, but it's still at work. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's the most certain thing that all of us will face. It's a certainty, folks. All of us will face it. It's a matter of when, not if. And that's unless Jesus returns before some of us pass. For us and our loved one. But here's the thing, folks. Death doesn't win. It's an enemy, but it doesn't win. It doesn't have the final say. It's like the final scene of a movie. Think of those movies you've seen where all is lost, right? 
and you're the, the, the hero of the movie or the main character of the movie, and it just seems like, oh, it's all is lost. It's, it's over. It can't be. But then something happens, something heroic, something miraculous happens, and the hero of the movie comes back to win the day. That hero is the Jesus that Nettie served. That hero is the Jesus that Nettie longed to be with. That hero is the one who saved her and the one who offers us salvation in him. Here's another verse you don't hear on a Sunday morning very often. So you, you, basically, folks, you've heard, if you haven't been to a funeral recently, this morning you've heard what a funeral message sounds like. But I wanted to share it with my church family first. That's why we're doing this. I wanted to share it with Nettie's church family first. It was important. But here's a verse, 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then I've said this at some of the funerals that I've done for you folks. I said this at uh, Linda's mom's funeral. And uh, I'm trying to remember, I've said it other uh, in the last... Listen to this verse and tell me if you can hear the trash talking. Tell me if you can hear the mocking. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear that? You're not so tough, death. Where's your victory? You're not so tough. You're not as strong as you think you are. Where's your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast. That's the rest of us, folks. That's those of us who are here. That's those of us who are still in the body. We're not absent from the body. We're in the body. We're not present with the Lord, even though the Lord is always present. That's another sermon. This is for us. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's for us. That's for us, those of us who are, to use uh, the title of a fairly mediocre novel, Left Behind. That's us. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain, so be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? Nettie knew this. Nettie knew this. She believed this. One more thing. This is how we know she believed this. One of the nurses said, and I think Jim Garrett heard this and maybe some others heard this in that last six, seven hours of Nettie's life. Nettie was in still a lot of pain until the last few hours. But she was kind and sweet, and she tried to smile at nurses. I mean, she, she was hardly weak enough to get the corner of her mouth up. Uh, she smiled at Lisa when Lisa came in to see her. She smiled at, uh, uh, I think she smiled at, I'm trying to think who else, uh, Bruce and Lynn. She smiled at them when they were there. She smiled at Nancy Hullinger uh, when she was there. When Nancy came in, and, and she looked up, and she, there was a look of awareness, and she, and she tried to smile, you know. One of the nurses who identified herself as a believer said, this woman is unique in my experience because almost everybody else who comes and they're in that much pain, it's hard for them to show any kind of kindness. 
she said, this woman shines the light of Christ. She reflects Jesus. I thought, wow, what a great testimony to Nettie Hudson. What a great testimony to the king that she served, that she was able to, in her last hours, in her in knowing that that's where she was, that she was able to extend that kind of uh, demeanor toward people. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Father, that this morning we have great hope where Nettie is and knowing that hope is not even that thing that we consider wishful thinking in any way. Hope is not, gee, I wish the weather would be good or gee, I wish this or that, but hope is sure and certain. And we thank you for the sureness. We thank you for the certainty that your word presents about where Nettie is today, about where we can go because we are followers of Christ, because we've trusted in the blood of Jesus to forgive us from our sins, not because of anything that's worthy in us, Lord, but because of you, because you made a way for us into eternity. And we're so thankful for that. We're so grateful for that. And we're so grateful that even though we do grieve, we don't grieve with those who have no hope. We grieve, Father, with great hope, knowing that Nettie is in the presence of the Lord according to your word, Father God. So we thank you for these things. We do pray for Ashley and his family. We pray for other uh, close friends of Nettie who aren't here this morning with her church family. And we ask for your grace and your comfort and your mercy for them in these days, Father, as they mourn the loss of Nettie. We pray, Heavenly Father, for this service on Wednesday. We pray that you would be magnified. We pray, Father, that it would be about you and that uh, any glory Nettie gets would only be glory that's reflected, that's reflected glory that you have, Father God. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.